Have you ever imagined Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father on a sun-kissed beach drinking pina coladas? No, me neither. But I've also never really thought about, well, what is Jesus doing now? Until we started this amazing series. And we've looked at the fact that Jesus is reigning, Jesus is praying, he's interceding, he's advocating, uh, he's sending. And this week we're going to look at the topic of Jesus waiting, albeit probably not with pina coladas. And this morning the talk is divided into two sections. The first is we're going to look at the verses that surround our key verse of the morning, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, there's a, a, a preacher from America said of scripture, he said that so often we are satisfied with raking leaves when we should be digging for gold. So hopefully we're going to be doing a bit of digging this morning. And then the second uh, section, uh, half of the preacher is going to look at the answer to, okay, if Jesus is waiting, what does that mean for us now? And there's going to be some bits that are encouraging as well as some bits that are challenging. I'm just going to pray for us as we begin. Spirit of truth, I thank you that you are here. Spirit of truth, open our hearts to hear. Spirit of truth, I thank you that you are also the spirit of grace. Spirit of truth and grace, speak now, we pray. Amen. All right, I want a quick show of hands. How many of you, and this is with no judgment whatsoever, how many of you have a smartphone with you? Put your hands up. All right, how many of you, keep your hands up, it's fine, it's fine, just for a second. All right, how many of you that have a smartphone have a Bible app? If you have a Bible app, keep your hands open, uh, up. All right, if you put your hands down, now is, which you're welcome to now, all of you, but those of you that don't have a Bible app on your smartphone, this is a good time to download it. Go onto the Play Store and type Bible and there will be one free. Now is a good time to do that. Because... What I'd love for us to do as we read scripture is for you to open your Bible app on your smartphone, and I'd love you to read this with me. We will put it up on the screen, but since you have a smartphone and so many of you have the Bible app, can I encourage you? Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Folks, if we are not dieting on scripture, we cannot be spiritually healthy. If we are not having a regular diet of scripture, we cannot be spiritually healthy. And I know you want us to be spiritually healthy because you're here this morning. So I want to do something different because I want us to just really get into scripture. And I'd love if you are able to. So we're going to turn to Hebrews. So open your Bible app. Put it on Do Not Disturb. And open, or if you have a regular Bible, you're welcome to use that as well. Um, and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read from verses 8 to 14. 
And what I'd love for us to do this morning, if you are able to, can I encourage us to stand? And I will read this as we read through Scripture together. And I will read this. Read along with me. I will read it for us. Follow along in your Bible app. So I'm reading from the NIV. Just double checking. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8, uh, and uh, we'll read to 16. So first he said, this is Jesus, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on my minds. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, before we start to unpack these verses, I'm just going to say this. If I hear anyone shout, yes, get in, I'm going to assume you are agreeing vociferously with me and not that England have just scored. All right, so that's the way I'm going to go. And if you shout, no, I'm going to pretend that Sweden or Spain scored, rather. Okay, so one of the key themes of the book of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ. That's a key theme that the writer was writing about. In chapter 1, he talks about Jesus being superior to the angels. In these verses and in other verses that we've looked at over this series, we see that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament priests, and his sacrifice is superior to the Old Testament sacrifices, and we pick that up. So that's a key uh, element to look at. Now, turn back with me to verse 8. So look at verse 8. It says, first, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Now, this is a bit weird, isn't it? Because it says, well, they were offered according to the law, but God was not pleased with them. But God himself gave them the law, and now he's saying, I'm not pleased with these sacrifices, even though they were following his commands. That's a bit weird. To answer that question, why that might be, scroll or turn to verse 3 in that chapter. See, this is why I want you to have your Bible app so you're constantly looking at Scripture because all of this won't come up on the screen. So verse 3, it says, But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. 
Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You see, it's the same. The reason why God was not pleased with those sacrifices is because it was just a reminder of a broken covenant. You see, in our modern moralistic Christianity, we interpret scripture with, with right and wrong, good and evil. But actually, the Old Testament is all about covenant relationship with God. That's the lens with which we need to read Scripture. It's all about relationship. And so, these sacrifices were a reminder to God that this relationship is broken. That my people have failed on the covenant. And that's why he was never pleased with it. It's the same way as if in today's world we have an abusive husband or wife. It can work both ways. But let's say we have an abusive husband and during the week he abuses his wife and his kids whether verbally, physically or whatever. And then on the Saturday he feels really bad about it and so he buys his wife a bunch of flowers as a way of apologizing. And the next week he does the same and the next week he buys a bunch of flowers and so on and so forth. Is his wife going to be pleased with those flowers? No. Why? Because they are a weekly reminder of his sin. Same reason why this verse tells us that God was not pleased with those sacrifices, even though he instigated them. Okay? So hopefully we understand that. Verse 9 in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Then he said, that's Jesus, said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. What is the first? Well, we've been told what the first is in verse 8, because he says, First, he said, sacrifices and offerings. So Jesus sets aside the sacrifices and offerings to establish the second. So we ask the question, well, what is the second? The second is the will of God, because verse 10 tells us, and by that will, I have come to do your will. What is the will of God? To do away with the perpetual sacrifices, with the need for constant, for a need for a priest, and to establish once and for all Christ, our mediator. Verse 10, and by that will, the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Folks, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been made holy, not because you chose to be holy, but because of Jesus' sacrifice. And only because of his sacrifice. Only because of the will of God that we are made holy. Amen? Verse 11 and verse 12. Now, I love these verses. These are so important. Look at the way that the writer writes, because remember, the the writer is trying to show the superiority of Christ. And so you see, in verse 11, he uses the word every priest, and then he contrasts it with verse 12, where it says, this priest, just the one. He then said, every priest, day after day, again and again, they offer the same sacrifices. Verse 12, no, is the contrast, for all time, one sacrifice for sins. In verse 11, it says, he stands, or every priest stands and performs. When you're standing, it means you're working. Contrasts it with Jesus, who is now sat at the right hand of God. The work is complete. I just love the way he does this contrast. And you start to see what the writer is trying to pull out. The superiority of Christ over the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament sacrifices. 
You see, Christ's sacrifice is superior because it is not a sacrifice that reminds us of the problem of sin. It's a sacrifice that removes the power of sin. Amen? It doesn't just remind us of the problem of sin. It removes the power of sin. That's so good news for us this morning. Verse 13, and since that time, so since the time he sat at the right hand of God, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And we're going to dig into this a little bit more. But suffice to note at this point, very often we often look at Jesus when we try and understand what Jesus did on the cross, we often look at this idea called penal substitutionary atonement. Where we say, well, Jesus was a sacrifice in our place. He died in my place, which is absolutely true. And then we look, but he also was Christus Victor, which means he won the victory. And I love the fact that the writer here doesn't necessarily say, well, it's either this or it's this. They both work in, it's the same thing is happening at the same time. I love how he's mixed these two ideas in one passage. Verse 14. He says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, Mr. Hebrews, writer of Hebrews, I don't know what you were brewing when you wrote that verse. All right, terrible joke. Got to be in there. Why do I say that? Look at this verse. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect, past, forever, And then he completely changes his tense. Those who are being made holy. Wait, wait, how does this work? We are made perfect forever, but we are also being made holy. In fact, he goes against what he writes in verse 10. If you look at verse 10 again, he says, And by that will we have been made holy. Dude, you're literally contradicting yourself four verses later. First you say, we have been made holy, and now in verse 14 you're saying, we are being made holy. How on earth does that work? A few years ago, I became a British citizen. So I was born and brought up in India, and so I was an Indian citizen. But a few years ago, I became a British citizen. Now, India doesn't allow you to hold two citizenships. So on the day I became British, I stopped being Indian. Now, does that mean that the day I became British, I stopped doing the head wobble? (laughs) So, (laughs) you get the point, right? Just because, so positionally, I was British. My passport would say, I am British. I could go to a British embassy anywhere in the world and say, I am British, and they would not ask, let me see the head wobble, do you head wobble or not? No, they would say, yes, you're British. And the longer I spend in Britain, the more and more British I become. I start to think more British, whatever that means. I start to speak British. I do the head wobble a little bit less. I drive slightly better. Um, (laughs) You see, positionally, I am British. Practically, it takes time. And in the same way for us as Christians, when you give your life to Jesus, positionally, you are in Christ and you are made holy, but practically, your holiness takes time. 
And that's why he can write that verse. Let's come back to our verse of the day, and we're going to start to unpack this um, reasonably quickly. Uh, So verse 13, it says, And since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. So first question, well, who are his enemies? Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm assuming you all have your Bibles still open. I'd love for you just to look at Scripture for yourself. Come on, it's so, so good. This is the Word of God. This nourishes us. Verse 12. We know this verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Those are his enemies. Right? There are spiritual forces that do not want the kingdom of God to be enjoyed, expressed, and extended. And they will do whatever they can to stop that from happening. If that is holding on to souls, great, best thing. But if they can capture or distract your hearts and minds, then that's second best. Because if they can distract your hearts and minds, they will stop you from enjoying, expressing, and extending the kingdom of God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, we're told, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Because your thoughts determine your behavior, which determines what you become. So, second question for this verse. He's waiting. What is he waiting for? In Colossians 2.15, it tells us that he has triumphed over the enemy. He has made a public spectacle of them. So hasn't he already won the victory? So why is he waiting right now for this still to happen? Well, again, in many ways, because you can have... So you win the victory, but the enemy is still out there trying to say, no, we're not giving up. They're not accepting defeat, and they're still trying to cause trouble, as we are all fully aware of. But Jesus waiting, the Greek is talking about, it's a very expectant, it's not a stressful waiting, because it's, this is the end result. I know this is going to happen. There is no question mark about it. So what does this mean for us? Does this mean that we can also sit back, sipping pina coladas, and just like, yeah, that's going to happen, it's chill, we're just going to you know, live life, and it's going to be okay, because you know, the enemy is finally going to be under Jesus' feet, we don't have to do anything. No, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, he says, well, what do we do? We have to live godly and holy lives. For the day when Jesus creates a new heaven and a new earth, and that will be filled with nothing but righteousness. No sin, no broken relationship, no broken covenant, but righteousness together. So here are three quick encouragements and one challenge. The first is this. The enemy is defeated. Amen? The enemy is defeated. There is no question mark here. There is no who won the race, who did, who did. It's it's done. It's done and dusted. The enemy is defeated. The second point is the enemy is weakening day after day. It may not look like it to you. It may not look like it when you read the news, but it is true. Jesus himself said the kingdom of God is advancing. So we know the enemy is weakening. And third, the enemy only has one fate, to be made the footstool 
of Jesus. Ultimately, that is the end of that story. We know that's going to happen. There is no question. So what is the challenge to us? The challenge to us is we need to keep fighting. We need to keep fighting. As we read in verse 15 and 16, we're told that the Spirit testifies, and Sean read this, saying God is going to write his law on our hearts and our minds. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus and you've surrendered to him, you have been rescued and your soul has moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now, the enemy is not happy about that. But what he can still do is to distract your heart and mind from the purposes of God for your life. Because if he can do that, then you're not expanding, enjoying, or extending the kingdom. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies and the accuser, which is what Satan means, and that's his modus operandi. Now, there are fundamentally three lies that we need to fight. And those are lies about our acceptance, our security, and our significance. Acceptance, we'll start with that. Now, this is a big one for young people. You see, today you have a battle for identity. Because if you're here and you're young, uh, youth, please listen to this. This pertains. The enemy will distract you from the fight by telling you that you will only be accepted if you dress a certain way, if you have the latest gadgets, if you show off enough skin, if you have enough, uh, you've been to the gym enough, if you uh, have all the latest brands that you're wearing, if you drink like the people around you, if you talk like the people around you, the enemy will say that's the only way for you to be accepted. And so you need to give in to that. Or if you give in to the sexual pressures from your boyfriend or girlfriend. For others of us, we will be challenged. We'll say, well, we'll only be accepted if your child behaves in a particular way. Or if you behave in a particular way. Or if you have enough faith. Or if you give enough even to the church. That's the only time when God will accept you and bless you. For some of you, the enemy has lied to you and said, you have gone too far. You've done too much wrong for God to ever accept you. And that is a lie because you are accepted as you are. You are chosen and adopted by God. He handpicked you, not because of what you wear, what you look like, how you talk, but because he loves you, he adores you, he made you. You have been bought at a price. You have been declared righteous. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all sin. That is the truth if you are in Christ this morning. That is the truth. Come on, say it with me. I am accepted. Say it with me. I am accepted. Amen? Secondly, security. Where does our security come from? For men, the enemy will lie and tell you that your security comes from being better than everybody else. Your sense of security comes in putting other people down. For some of you, making fun of the way your wife looks or her weight gain. Or for some of you, it's being, well, I can't do women's work because I'm a man. And that's where my security comes from. So why would I be cleaning this and doing that or looking after the kids? I'm a man. That's where my security comes from. For some of you, you won't let your wife bloom into the, uh, the, the calling that God has got on her life because she will have more of a platform than you. And you don't let her do that because it makes you feel insecure. You say the enemy will try and convince you that real men don't cry. You should never be vulnerable. You should be the top dog. You should be the funniest, the the strongest, the bravest, the richest. 
For women, the enemy will do his hardest to make you feel insecure when you look at all the other women around you or on TikTok or wherever social media you're on. You'd be like, didn't she just have a baby last week? Look at her flat tummy. That's ridiculous. How is that possible? Oh, look at her perfect kids. Oh, my gosh. None of you women talk like that. You're like, clearly, how can she, she doesn't work, you can't have such a, you know, perfect kids, perfect house, perfect this, perfect the other. And so in your insecurity, you have two options. One, you chase after all of those things because you think you need to match up to that, and those are things that do not matter in eternity. Or the other option is you give up completely and you say, well, I'll never be like them. And so you give up even on things that matter in eternity. Well, if I can't have a spotless house, I'm not going to be a life group leader. If I can't have perfect kids, how am I supposed to help out in the kids ministry? And you disqualify yourself because you're comparing yourself to things that do not matter in eternity. Stop it. Don't let the enemy get that or break this. Again, slightly excited. <laughs> Folks, you are secure. You are secure. You are secure because God completes the good work that He started in you. You are secure because nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are secure because nothing can separate you. You are free from condemnation. And you have been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That is the truth. Come on, say it with me. I am secure. Ha! Yes, we are. And finally... The enemy will try and take you out of the flight by lying to you to say that your significance in life comes from the size of your paycheck, the size of your house, comes from the size of your talent, maybe even the amazing work that you do with disadvantaged children. Maybe he will tell you that your significance comes from how much you serve in church or, some, or how much you, you, you do or the, whatever you do even in serving in church. Some of you are pushing to be on a platform because you think that's where your significance comes from. Some of you are pushing because you want more attention and you think the more attention, that's where my significance comes from. The enemy will lie and tell you that if you aren't working, if you aren't on a platform, if you aren't getting lots of attention, that you aren't significant, and that's lies. I want to take a moment to encourage our mighty oaks this morning. Those of you that are in retirement season, this is a season where you can struggle with significance. The amount of work that you do has decreased. Your energy levels have decreased. Maybe your independence has decreased. Maybe your capacity has decreased. And maybe your sphere of influence has decreased. But let me tell you, your significance has not decreased. 
Your significance, mighty oaks, has not decreased. You are significant to the kingdom of God. Your purpose remains the same. You are still called to enjoy, express, and extend the kingdom of God. You are still appointed and chosen to bear fruit. You are still the temple of God in which God resides. You are still a minister of reconciliation for God. You are seated with Christ in heavenly realms. God is still working in and through you. It may look different in this season, but it is significant. We, as a church body, we need you. We need your prayers. We need your wisdom. We need your encouragement. We need your correction. We need your experience and expertise. We need you, our mighty oaks, because you are significant. This is for everyone, though. Come on, say it with me. I am significant. Folks, we need to fight the lies of the enemy. If we give in to these lies, we get distracted. We spend our lives, our money, our energy chasing the things of the world to make us feel accepted, secure, and significant. And the enemy is happy with that. Because if you're busy doing that, then you're not busy giving your lives, your energy, and your money to enjoying, expressing, and extending the kingdom of God. That is your purpose. Seek first. The kingdom of God. A few years ago, I got taken out of the fight. I hit my 40s, and I did that whole midlife crisis thing, and I've, I struggled with what's my significance? What have I achieved? What's my, where's my security? What am I good at? Where's my acceptance? Who's, who's think, giving me my attention, the attention that I want? I came off a church leadership team. I stopped leading youth. I hated going to church. And I was angry with my kids the whole time. I got pulled out of that fight because I started to believe the lies of the enemy. These days, it may not be so extreme, and it might not be so extreme to you. I'm going to tell you something very embarrassing. There are times when, or even this morning, I thought, you know what, before I preach, I'm going to get my pump on so that my arms look good when I'm preaching. (laughs) Genuinely. And some of you are thinking, dude, twigs, pumped, still look like twigs. So don't bother. But you know, it's these little things sometimes, it may not be extreme, that kicks you out of church and you start hating church, but it's these little things about, I want that little bit of attention. I want people to notice my arms, things that don't matter. And now everybody's noticing my arms. So. <laughs> Folks, the lies of the enemy imprisons you. The lies of the enemy stops you living a fulfilled life. It's the truth of God that sets you free and, incre- and instead increasingly puts the enemy under the feet of Jesus because that's where he is supposed to be. I have a sheet that you can download from the YouTube link or I will send through to your life groups. So this is what I used on a day-to-day basis when I was going through that midlife crisis. I printed it off, stuck it on my shower wall, and every morning when I was having a shower, I would speak this truth over myself out loud until I started to believe it because the, the world will tell you lies after lies after lies. And we need to speak the truth of God because that sets us free. And finally, fight the lies that the enemy is telling your friends, your family, your colleagues, 
tell them the truth that they will only find true acceptance, security, and significance when they surrender and live their life in purpose for what God has called them to. There's a prayer, an attribute, a quote attributed to C.S. Lewis. He says this, My prayer is that when I die, all of hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. Let that be our prayer. Don't let the enemy take you out of the fight before you are dead. We have a battle to fight while Jesus waits for that day of certainty when his enemies will be made his footstool.